Today, I just really want to take a step back, I guess, from what Nath talked about and just have a look at what do we do when we find ourselves in that situation? What does the Bible say that we do when we're in the situation where things are not black and white, where it's not clear cut? What actually, what should our thinking be in that area? Because sometimes it is clear cut. It may not be easy to hear, but there are times when we know what God is actually asking us to do. If I am really angry at someone, if I'm really annoyed and every time I think about them, all I can think about is the injustice of what they've done for me and I'm really, really angry, the Bible clearly tells me in Matthew 6, 14 to 15, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive other sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Or if I go to Mark eleven twenty five, it says, When you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone else, forgive them so that your Father in heaven might forgive your sins. So if my question is, should I really forgive Matt? <laughs> the answer is clearly yes. Biblically, if I want to be a follower of Jesus, I can't get around it. I can't assume it says anything differently that I need to forgive. There's those two verses that I read and there's many more that tell me I should forgive. And that's not just me. If you were in a similar position and you need to forgive someone, there is no way you can biblically come to a conclusion that says it's okay for me not to forgive that person. It's black and white. It's in the Bible. It's really clear multiple times. You cannot biblically think otherwise. You can convince yourself otherwise, but if we're talking about what is biblical, you cannot say, it's okay, Mel, you don't have to forgive that person. That is not a biblical answer to, do I need to forgive? But there are lots of things that are really annoying because the Bible isn't that clear on. I remember when I was trying, when I, Matt and I were dating, and we were getting to the point in our relationship where we're like, oh, is marriage what God wants for us? I cannot biblically find a passage, a verse that says, I should marry Matthew James Patterson. Now, isn't it pretty good that I can't? Because if I could, everybody would want to marry Matthew James Patterson. Or you just want to call your kid Matthew James Patterson so they can biblically have something to point to to say, look up whatever book in the Bible and you'll find it. Or when Matt and I were trying to decide whether we would buy a house. Should we buy a house or should we keep on renting? We actually went back and forth and went, okay, well, what does God want to say in this? We want to live a life that's actually pleasing to God. This is a big decision. It's a lot of money. What do we actually do? There isn't a verse that you can point to that says everybody should buy a house. There isn't a verse you can point to to say everybody should continue renting and no one should buy a house. So it's, there's nothing that you can say biblically. This is the only thing you can think about this particular topic. So what do we do? What do we do when we're actually in a position where it isn't this is the verse it tells me what to do. I might not like it, but at least I clearly know what direction God wants me to move on. 
So firstly, I want to just look at what actually the dictionary says a conscience is. And this is what the dictionary says. A conscience means a person's moral self of right and wrong, viewed as acting as a guide to one's behaviour, what guides the person's choices. You see, a conscience isn't a Christian idea. It's not that when we become a Christian, God gives us a conscience and we can live out of that conscience. If we're human, all of us have a conscience. If you know the Disney movie Pinocchio, there's a song that tells you always let your conscience be your guide. Um, and so this is not a biblical idea of conscience. This is a human idea that we actually have values. We actually have things that influence what we decide is right or wrong. When I was at uni, I did this subject called Moral Issues in the Scientific Age. And it was really interesting. And so once a week, I got together with all these hyper-intellectual people, which I was not one of, and we discussed and we argued at times what is actually morally correct and what is morally wrong. And what is the basis for that? One person had the idea that we were all computers, that really we had no choice whatsoever and all that happens is a decision had to be made like, should I have a coffee? And our brain just goes through the process that it always does and come up with an answer. There's actually no choice in it. It's just like a computer program. We actually had to read this book called The Dice Man. And The Dice Man is a book that was written a number of years ago in the 70s, I think. And it was written, and when it was written, the person who wrote it tried to make it really unclear whether or not it was a fictional book or whether it was a non-fiction book. And so it's about this guy called Luke, who's a psychologist, and he decided that the way to decide if something was morally right or wrong was to do what the dice said. So if he had to make a decision, like, should I go to work today? He would say, if I roll number one, it means... I will go to work. If I roll number two, it means I'll go to work late and so on. He'll make up the six points. He'll roll the dice. And as long as he followed the dice, he was morally correct. If he didn't follow the dice, that's when he was morally wrong. So he decided that that was going to be his moral code. And in the book, he gets into all sorts of things. He sleeps with his neighbour. He kills someone. And there's all these things, and he still looks at it as being morally correct because the dice told him to do it. And if the dice told him to do it, he was morally correct in following it. As an aside, the interesting thing is that some people even now use that as a thing. They can't decide they'll roll a dice and they'll do what the dice says and decide that that's morally right if they follow what the dice says. I'd like to put it to you that that's probably not the best way of deciding anything, really. Especially anything that's of great importance. And if we want to be followers of Jesus, we can't just say, I'm a follower of Jesus when the Bible says clearly what I should do. And when the Bible says not clearly, it's who cares, I'll just do whatever. There's no guide as to what I should actually do in that situation. 
because I think there actually is some things for us to consider when it's not such a black and white thing that we're trying to decide about. Luke 6.45 tells us this. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, but an evil man brings evil things out of the good stored up in his heart. From out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So that clearly tells us that what actually is within us often is what we will speak and what will come out. Um, it is Daniel's birthday. Happy birthday, Daniel. Haven't seen him this morning. He was asleep when we left this morning. Daniel turned 16 today. Pretty much most of Daniel's life, he hasn't been a fad follower in terms of always changing what he likes. But once you like something, everybody knows he likes it. And so for quite a number of years, it was Star Wars. And it would be to the point where you could be having a conversation that had nothing to do with Star Wars whatsoever. You would say one innocent word and Daniel would be like, oh, that reminds me about this thing that happened in Star Wars, blah, 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 blah. At the moment, if you talk to Daniel about music, the only music he wants to talk about is U2. And so Matt was having a conversation just like two days ago and said, you two will need to do this. And Daniel says, oh, we better ring them up in Ireland and see if they can come and do it. So Matt was saying, you two are in, you and Catherine need to do this. And he took it as you two the band. Not seriously, but that was the way his mind works. If you say anything about unbelievable, he will talk to you about Justin Briley. And he'll talk to you about William Lane Craig. Because the thing that Daniel invests in is apologetics. If you want to talk about apologetics, Daniel is a great person to do it because he reads about it, he listens to podcasts about it, he goes to sleep listening to books about it, he fills his head with apologetics, like how to actually explain the Christian faith to people. And so that's what he's thinking about. Even when you're talking about gardening, he can make it about Justin Briley and Unbelievable, which is a podcast that he thinks is really cool, or he can make it about William Lane Craig or doing whatever, because that's what he is into. And so he can't help but think about you too or whatever when it comes up, even if it's in the most unpredictable, completely out there ways. But that happens to us too. The things that we really invest in, the things that we are watching, the things that we listen to, the things that we read, can dictate the way that we actually think about things, can dictate the way that we, you know, as I said, you mentioned you too, and Daniel thinks about the band. He can't not do that because it's part of who he is. So one of the first things I think we need to think about is what are we actually feeling our minds and our lives with. Because the things that we fill our minds and lives with, as Luke tells us, is going to flow out of us. And so if we want to be biblical people, if we want to be people who follow Jesus, even when it's not clearly a yes or no answer from God, we need to have biblical principles in our lives. We need to have things that actually focus us and it can't just be that one person that we love because of the way that they always talk. I think it can be really dangerous if you're only, even if they're a Christian person, if you are only listening to one podcast 
And that podcast and that person's opinion is the opinion that you repeat. I think that can be really dangerous. They may be brilliant, but I think the thing we want to repeat most is what the Bible actually tells us, what God is actually speaking, and what many people's ideas are into that space. If all we're doing is relying on one person, as great as they may be, and this is even me, if you're just quoting me, you're doing something really wrong. Because none of us, apart from the Holy Spirit and God, are the be-all and end-all of what God thinks and what God says. So let's firstly, when it comes to matter of consciences, when it comes to things that we can't just point to a verse and say, it may be hard, I don't want it to say that, is there any other way I can get around it? No, I can't. When it comes to those kind of things, let's be mindful of the people that we're listening to because that's going to influence the way that we think and the decisions that we make. There's some other things I think that are really important when it comes to this space. And if my dad was listening to this, he would be very annoyed at me because I've got five points for you now, but five is too many. He would say you should only have three, but I've got five. And he would also say they should all start with the same letter. My dad is really great at coming up with the same, it's starting with the same letter for whatever it is, or an acrostic so it spells something. I've done neither. I've just said these are the things that I believe are important in this space and this is why. So sorry for those who are going to find this hard to remember. But again, my hope is that what God wants to speak is what will stick. And so maybe not all five of these are the things that God wants to say. Maybe it's two, maybe it's four, maybe it is all five. It could just be one. But hopefully this will give you an idea of what to do when you are asking that question, should I marry that guy or that girl? Should I buy that house? What should I do in any decision that we have? And at the moment, we've got a lot of decisions before us that we need to make that the Bible doesn't clearly tell us what to point out. So I'm hoping these five things would just give us a guideline that can help our thinking as we decide stuff. It's not going to tell you what to decide. The first thing is we need to make sure that we're looking to God and not to man. I've already mentioned this briefly, but if you want a Bible verse to back it up, Isaiah 2.22 tells us, Stop trusting in me, humans, who have but a breath in their nostril. Why hold them in esteem? And I actually truly believe that that is a word that some of us need to hear. So we need to stop trusting in man's opinion and make sure that it's God's opinion that we're hearing. Second Chronicles 20.11, I really love the end of this verse. It says this, Oh God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And I think that is the first and foremost thing that we need to do. If we cannot biblically come up with the answer, the first thing we need to decide is, I do not know what to do, but my eyes, God, are still on you. I'm not going to go looking elsewhere. I'm going to look to you because you still have an answer, even though, annoyingly, you haven't written a chapter and verse for me. So the first thing is to make sure and to make a decision to look to God and not to man. The second thing is to remember the nature and character of God. God will never do anything that's outside his nature and his character. 
So knowing what God's character is, knowing his nature, means that if something is against that, we know that's not the decision we should be making. We sang a lot about the fact that God is good today. That is a character and a nature of God that we need to hold on to. He is a good God. Psalms tells us to taste and see that the Lord is good. In Romans 8, 28, it says, For we know in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Genesis 50, 20 says, and this is Joseph speaking, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is being done, the saving of many lives. Remembering that God is good doesn't mean life will always go the way that we want it to. We spoke two weeks ago about the fact that following Jesus costs us. doesn't always go the way that we plan. And you just need to look at Joseph's life who said, you know, God actually intended this for good. And no one would want his life. Gets chucked in a pit, ends up working for someone, gets accused of adultery, ends up in prison, ends up in prison longer because people forget about him. Like it's not the life that you actually go, hey, God, you're such a good God. But that is still true of God's nature. And so knowing and remembering the nature of God helps us not only to give us hope, but it also makes us to go, okay, God's not going to say or ask me to do anything that's contrary to his nature and contrary to his character. So look to God, remember his nature and character. The third thing is to actually ask for wisdom. I don't know about you, but sometimes that can be the last thing that I do. Like it can be so caught up worrying about what I should do and trying to decide and even look at the Bible and trying to work out what God is saying that I forget. Ask for wisdom and it will be given to you. James 1.5 says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. So when we don't know what to do, stopping and saying, God, I need your wisdom. And trust is going to give it to you. You don't need to doubt. You can actually trust if we ask God for wisdom, he'll give it to us. Proverbs 2, 6 to 8 says, The Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up wisdom for the upright. He is a shield for those who walk in integrity, guarding their path of justice and watching over all his saints. So ask God to give you wisdom and trust that he's given it to you. The fourth one is to seek peace. Sometimes when we don't know what to do, knowing do I feel peaceful about the conclusion I've come to is a really good guide that God is actually guiding you. John 14 tells us, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, who the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives, but do not let your heart be troubled and do not be afraid. The peace that God can give, the circumstances may not change, 
but God can actually give us a peace. And when we have a peace that passes understanding, as Proverbs tells us, when we have a peace that we know is beyond just all things have changed and the circumstances are good, so now I feel peaceful, that's a really great sign that God is actually with us as we're taking the steps forward that we think he's asking us to. So remembering it's not about man, but it's about God. Remembering the character and the nature of God. Ask for wisdom. Seek peace. And then the very last one is trust that he's got you. Sometimes we get to a point where a decision has to be made. And we may not be 100% certain that we are correct in the decision we've come to, but we have no more time. We cannot put it off any longer. And sometimes a decision has to be made. And so when you get to that point, trust that God's got you. Trust that you've actually seeked after him. You've asked for wisdom. He's given it to you. It's not like you've just been watching TV and not paying any attention to what God's saying. Trust that he's got you and take the step that's before you that you think is the right one. And know that if you happen to, after all of that, make a decision that God goes, that's probably not the best decision, he can work that out too. It is not a sin to make a decision that you think God is saying and to get it wrong. If you're ignoring God and not paying any attention to him and just doing your own thing, that's pretty much the definition of sin. The definition of sin is going your own way. The definition of sin is not, I've seeked after the things of God, I'm not 100% sure, I've got no more time, I'm going to make a decision and then make the best one that's in front of you. I don't know if I was 100% sure that I should have married Matt. I didn't get a word from heaven. I didn't get a dream. I didn't get anything that I could stand on and say, I should marry this person called Matthew James Patterson. But it turned out pretty well. It turned out very well. But I do also believe if I didn't marry Matt, it still would turn out okay. The things that God hasn't clearly told us in his word that we should be doing, we can actually take a step back, take a deep breath and actually say, I'm going to do the best I can with the knowledge and the wisdom God's given me. And then I'm going to take a step. If you have more time, feel free to take more time. But sometimes we don't have more time. Sometimes we have to make a decision. So know the character of God. Know he is good. Know he is loving. Make sure that we're listening to what God is saying and not what man is saying. Ask for wisdom and know if you've asked, he's given it to you. So you don't doubt that you don't have the wisdom of God. If you asked, he gives it to us. Seek peace. And you can even ask God, God, give me your peace in this situation. And then trust that he's got you and do what is before you. I want to finish by reading a psalm. 
And this is Psalm 121. And I just want you just to close your eyes as I read this psalm. You don't have to, but just concentrate on the words. And remember that this is truth. I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going, both now and forevermore. That's truth. God doesn't slumber and sleep. He may not be giving you the answer as clearly as you want it in the time that you want it, but God also tells us in his word, his timing is not our timing. He's not slow as some seem slow. He tells us that he's a good father. And if we who are evil know how to give good gifts, how much more can we trust that God will be good to us? If we are seeking for the things of God and not for man, we're asking for wisdom and remembering his character, we're looking for peace, then we can trust that God's got us. We can lift the burden and say, God, I do not know what to do. My eyes are on you. I'm going to do the best that I can with what is in front of me and trust that God's got you. I know that he does. If you want to know something that is so true about the Bible, something that's biblical, something that you don't need to wonder about, is that God loves you with an everlasting love, that nothing can separate you from his love, that his mercies are new every morning, that he's a good God who gives good gifts to his children. All of those things you don't need to wonder about. You don't need to do these five steps that I pointed out. I can give you chapter and verse of all of those things that are true. And if that is true with our God, that whatever decisions are before us, we can trust that he's got us. We can trust that he knows we're doing the best that we can with the information that we have, with the wisdom he has given us. And then we can move forward in that. And just because I've come to a conclusion, like Matt and I bought a house. That was a decision that we made. We talked to lots of people. We read God's word. We prayed about it. We actually did these things. And in the end, we bought a house. Now, I cannot say to you, hey, Matt and I did all these things. We bought a house. And so if you should come to the conclusion to buy a house, because that isn't the way it works. You could do all these things and decide not to buy a house. And that is a decision that was before you that you made, which is just as right and just as godly as the decision Matt and I made to buy a house. So those are the decisions we're talking about here. Ones that are not everybody's going to be the same. Everybody has to forgive. Sorry, can't get around it. Not everybody has to buy a house. So let's look to God. Let's trust that he's got us. And let's walk in his ways the best that we can. Let me pray. God, we do want to thank you that you are good. And because you are good, we can trust you. We can trust you with the things that your word says that are hard and we don't want to do, but they're in black and white and we can't get around it. 
and we can trust you with the decisions that we have where we do need to ask for wisdom and seek your face and do these things, God, because it's not straightforward as to what the outcome is, God. But we're going to thank you, God, that you don't change, that you were the same five years ago as you were four years ago, three years ago, two years ago, as you will be in five years' time, God. You do not change until we can trust you. And so I really want to pray for each one of us, God, that we will be people that will look to you, will be people that will remember your character and your nature, that we will ask for wisdom when we need it and trust that you've given it to us, God, that we will seek peace. And then when it comes to the decisions that are before us, God, that we will be able to make them trusting that you've got us, trusting that you are a loving and good God. Amen.